Hello, thanks for tuning in to the West Side Podcast. This is where we're going to be posting some of the audio from our gatherings on Sundays, and we're hoping to develop some other content that we're excited to share with you in the future. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus, step by step. And we really hope that this podcast helps you do just that. We hope it helps you get closer to Jesus. We hope that you would be reconciled to God and not only that, be reconciled to the relationships around you and to the city that you live in, wherever that happens to be. Again, thanks for tuning in and enjoy. This is a two-part poem, if you can kind of check it out. And it was there to be memorized, and it's here for us. There's, you can kind of see at, the, at verse 15, there's gonna be two sections of this poem. So like, like this. So at the first part, it's going to start with, and it depends on the, um, oh no, I'm gonna read my version. I'm gonna read my version, because it might be, it, it's gonna be different in everyone's Bibles. But mine's gonna start with Christ, and then it's going to have the next uh, furthest over indentation is going to say four. And then there's going to be another one that says he made. And then the next passage after that, the, ne- the next part of the poem is going to say Christ and four and he made. And if we were really into Greek, then we would be able to analyze this scripturally to, and um, determine what Paul was really saying. And there would be neat little, not early rhymes exactly, but repetitions and different things, and it would emphasize stuff for us. But we're just gonna get into this poem. Um, We miss out on a lot of that literary styling, unfortunately, but it's okay. There's a lot of, you might notice, there's a lot of words like created, creation, first. Those are all repeated things. I have something here with me. It's an enormous Pokemon card. Did you know they made these this big? It's an enormous. My son started at um, Eugene Christian School last January because it was just uh, the two of us and we were um, homeschooling together and um, it was dark, it was rough. It was a rough time last fall. Anyone? <laughs> and uh, happily, there, we worked some, some things out and he got to go attend a public school. It was amazing. Um, but, the, but he wanted to like, figure out what was cool and be part of the group and do the things that the group was doing. And what the group was doing was they were getting into Pokemon cards, trading them. They never played a single game of Pokemon, but they just traded them. Did anybody grow up trading baseball cards or anything like that? Okay, so it's all about like this, you, you wanna try to sell the person, you're almost like tricking them, like that's a, I'll give you this better card, but you give me that card, right? You're sort of playing this strange game for, with this trading. And, the, and um, the principal, and it actually got to be that the kids were way into it, they would talk about it all the time, then people's feelings would be hurt. Well, that kid made a bad trade, so he's naughty. And then, um, and, and those guys won't trade with me. And it got to be such a big deal that they banned it. <laughs> they banned Pokemon card trading. Um, I, I, my son would get in the car afterward and I would say, how was school? And he'd say something about the trade. 
it was either really good news about the trade or really bad news about the trade. But I think that there's something, there's little things on here, there's numbers, right? Like, um, okay, so, you know, this one says 300. This is his, this is his prized card. I was like, can you get me a Pokemon card? He's like, do you want the best one? Yeah, I do want the best one. Here it is. It's worth 300 points. I have no idea what that actually means. But he wanted to collect them. He was working it in this, like, the, this was the currency of the day. And he finally got to this moment where he got this 300 point, and it has something else. He wanted me to tell you that it's called a jumbo card. So you know, so you, just so you know. And it has actually like some like little holograms on it. But he wanted to collect all, he wanted to get all the pocket monsters available to him because if he could, then he would have, you know, just the best arsenal. He would have all the power. He would have what he needed. He would be, he would just have it all taken care of. Everything would be fine and settled. But it never was. And we would talk about that. We would say like, gosh, it kind of seems like this is making you really like not settled. He's finally given it up like voluntarily, he says he still wants to keep them, but he's not as into them anymore because he knows it's kind of like, once you get it, like what's the point after some, after some moment? It's played out and it, it played itself out for him. Um, I tell you all of that, can you guess why? Might it have something to do with this biblical passage? <laughs> I think it does. Um, there were two groups that Paul is talking to in Colossians. These, these new Christians, they didn't have Bibles. They had the Hebrew Bible, but they didn't have Bibles. And a bunch of them were pagans. And that means, gosh, there's this God for this, you know, I want to have a baby. So here's the, the fertility God. I'm going to make sure I worship that God. And then there, I want to have money. So I'm going to worship this money God. And then well, I want my crops to grow. So I got to worship this crop God, I've got to have power. Uh, oh no, um, now I've got the baby and I'm about to give birth and pretty much like half the women die when they give birth. So let's make sure we definitely um, go ahead and, and uh, worship the whatever God that would be. What, what the pagans were doing was collecting. They were collecting gods so that they could have power. They needed power. I'm not blaming them, you know. Um, it was a very scary world to live in in the first century, pretty rough. We've got a lot of, you know, modern conveniences that make a life a lot easier now. But that's what they were doing. They were collecting the cards, collecting the, the, uh, the gods to get, to, to get enough power, to get as much power as they could. So when they heard about Jesus, a whole bunch of them from Epaphras, they say, oh, you have this God that's like, he's like a man God. Okay, so he like looks like a man. Okay. And then, oh, he can walk on water. That's a cool skill. That's pretty sweet. And what? He, oh, he healed some people from blindness. Yeah, it's a good one. Oh, and he resurrected from the dead. Okay, that's awesome. I'm definitely going to worship that God. But they weren't like not worshiping the other gods. They still were going to keep all the other gods. Because why would you, you want more. More is better, right? So that's one group that they're talking to, that Paul's talking to in this, in this, uh, in this poem. Let's see. 
can we go ahead and read it, everybody? I'm going to read. All right, I guess I'll just read it. Let's read this one. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body. Hold on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna end right there at the 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. When I, talk, when I hold this card up, do you see how it's an image? Is there actually Meowth VMAX? Does this, this thing exist in life? Absolutely not. But Jesus, this was, this was a very interesting thing, I think. He is the image of God. He's visible, but God is invisible. He actually is real. Jesus is supreme because they were worshiping gods that were created by other things. Paul is saying he existed before anything was, was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. He's not just like the best Pokemon card, right? He's actually like the creator of Pokemon and the best gamer ever. And he can also play D&D and I don't know whatever else you wanna say. <laughs> he is supreme. He's the one, he, he's way above it all. And this is just an image. It's not real. I could rip it up, but I'm not going to because Elliot would be sad about that. But I wanted to rip it up in some sort of, you know, very um, dramatic moment for all of you. We'll just imagine, there we go. Um, so the, the second, if you'll notice, like, these guys are really, the pagans are, um, they're worried about power, right? I'm worried about power. I like to have control and power and safety. The next group that we're gonna talk about is the ones, they were concerned with being right. Like they wanted to be righteous. They wanted to have it taken care of. And the next group is the Jews. So there were the pagans and the Colossian church and the Jews and the, and the Colossian church. And of course the Jews, their biggest way to determine whether or not they are saved, they are right. They're not really looking for the power, they're looking to say, look, I followed the Torah. I follow the 10 best, the 10 commandments to a T. I follow, um, I follow the law. And that is how they were looking to be saved. They were glad about who Jesus was, but it, he wasn't supreme yet for them. They still took the law to mean that whether or not they followed the law, their right thinking, their right being, their, their right action to, mean, to be more powerful than Jesus was. So Paul continues to go through this poem. 
So let's go through. It's going to start with Christ, and then it's going to go with a four, and then it's going to go with a he made. We're going to learn about Christ. We're going to learn why with the four, like because, and then we're going to learn about what he made. So starting at verse 18, I'm just going to read from mine. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. God in all his fullness was pleased to live in in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So the Jews are getting their idea of what it means to be saved flipped on its head. Just like the pagans were sitting there saying, no, no, Jesus is just one regular God. Oh wait, no, he's he's bigger than that. He was before then. He was, all of this was made for him and by him and through him. He's all in it, He's he's over it. Now the Jews are hearing, it wasn't that you followed the right rules. It wasn't that you're keeping the exact law. It was through the blood of Christ that God dwelled in Christ and gave himself up for us. And that's how we're reconciled to God. It wasn't because of what you did or believed. Um, That was neat for them and I think it's really, really cool. But here's for us today. Like I love knowing, I wanna know historically what was going on back then. It's super important for us before we even jump to what that means for us today. I think it means, yeah, Christ is supreme and, you know, let's not be worshiping idols, everyone, got that. Um, I think most of us are pretty clear, even though we oftentimes, um, you know, do kind of make up some rules about Christianity or whatever. Sometimes we, we all kind of lean on that sometimes. We know that, you know, it's not through those, those rules that we are close to God. But I wrote a couple of things I thought of, um, and it might reveal uh, my lack of knowledge in a couple of areas, so bear with me, please. But I think if today Paul were writing to us, what would he, what would he say for those who are looking for power? This is for the things that we think are the most powerful. He's cons- uh, Paul, uh, Paul would write to us about who Jesus is. He might say, you ready? I wrote it. Christ, oh, and this is not, um, uh, <laughs> this is not God's word, this is Quinn's word. So let's, let's be clear about that. Christ is the great computer programmer. He is the first tweet. He is the original poster. For all the code writing that ever existed, God was there before. He is all knowledge, all understanding, begins with him as he was the one who established knowledge to begin with. He was the one who inspires technology and gives minds to use science. Through him and for him, he holds the whole world wide web together in his hands. What do you guys think about that? Is that kind of silly? It's silly, right? But was it? Oh, we do like put a lot of stock in 
you know, the supremacy of like the internet, don't we? We really do. Is that, is that important for us to know that Christ is supreme above that? He is more powerful, more all knowledge is from him. And do I believe, that's a weird one, that he holds the whole World Wide Web in his hands and it was created through him? Because we just read that, he's, that everything that was created is for Christ and through him. That's, it's, a, it's a strange one. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around it sometimes because I think, well, humans made those things, right? We get fuzzy with that one. Can you think for a moment and maybe turn to your neighbor? This is a tough one. But I wonder if you can think of something that you do consider to be powerful in your life that you need to be reminded that Christ has supremacy over it. Or maybe you never even, and this is, this, was my, this might have been true for the Colossians, you never even thought before about how Jesus is supreme over that area. So let's take a second. Did you know it was gonna be interactive? Um, maybe you'll lean to a, a buddy, somebody nearby. Um, if there's somebody sitting alone, just make sure everybody gets a little chance. Look around. But um, is there something, this is a hard one, that you might be considering that Jesus is more powerful than that thing, even though sometimes I forget that that's true. Go ahead. Um, now for a little poem, the second part, about being right. Because I do like to be right, and I kind of sometimes equate it with my salvation sometimes. Um, but this is, what I, this is what I wrote for us today. Christ is also the best love. He is just on behalf of the vulnerable. He defends the oppressed. He speaks truth to power. For he made up and is the very idea of love to begin with. He is real love. For he gave up his whole self. He gave up his dreams. He followed his heart, the only truly sinless heart ever to, ever, to death on a cross. He followed it to being canceled. He made this love to conquer cancellation and now we are loved by God through Jesus' love, not because we loved, because he loved first and showed us how. All our love finds its source in his love. Now, um, I don't know what you thought about that, but I'd love everyone to write their own at home. Um, what is a way, if you could think again, talk to your neighbor, and, and I wonder, is there maybe a way of right living that you sometimes put as supreme over Jesus, but you need to remember that Jesus is supreme over that. Even if it's, it's such a good thing, right? Something that's so good, yet is something that we need to remember that Jesus is supreme over. Yeah, take a moment and again, chat it up with your neighbor. Thank you. Uh, Quinn and I uh, have the rare opportunity tonight to get to preach 
uh, together. And uh, the truth is, uh, Quinn and I, in a lot of ways, are right brain, left brain together. And uh, I wanna look at the same story uh, and I wanna read it again. So I'm gonna ask that we bring up the text one more time. I wanna read it one more time. And I wanna uh, draw out some additional things uh, to um, the beautiful concepts and ideas that Quinn has, uh, has brought to us. Um, and by the way, just as a word of thankfulness, Jeannie, your words were very special to me as the, the words that you said. Um, and I wanna say too, you have, uh, whether you're aware of it or not, uh, really phenomenal pastors here. Uh, Brooks and Christy, um, uh, I had the privilege of getting to live with Brooks for a number of years when we were in college. I don't tell a whole lot of people this, but I wanted to be like Brooks when I was in college. Uh, and actually, uh, there's been no end to the, f- the fun making that Quinn has made of me that when we played Ultimate Frisbee, I would dress up like Brooks. Um, and I would, wear, I would wear a bandana on my head because I wanted to be like Brooks. There was an old saying in the Onyx house, all the men wanted to be like Brooks and all the women wanted to be with Brooks. Um, and the truth is, uh, I counted myself one of those men who wanted to be like Brooks. Um, and I still do to this day. Colossians 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Would you say amen with me this evening? Amen, amen. I wanna ask two questions this evening, and I would like to invite you to reflect with me on these two questions. Uh, Question number one, what does it actually mean? What does it mean when we Christians, when people who claim the name of Jesus, when we say Jesus is Lord, what does that mean? And secondly, does it do anything to change how we live our lives? What does it mean to say Jesus is Lord, and does it actually change anything about our lives? There is a danger for many of us in, uh, in our beliefs about Jesus. And, and I want to identify what I believe to be a danger that Paul is attempting to address that I think still has remarkable power in our lives. We need to identify it and name it. I want to call it the therapeutic gospel. Um, that this, by the way, if you're a counselor or a therapist, is not a slight against the work you do. I, for many years, have seen a counselor. I wouldn't be the man I am today if it were not for therapy. But there is a version of the gospel, there's a version of the Christian faith that says something like this. Believe in Jesus, and he will come and make your life all better. Um, A part of this is I think in our language. I uh, remember when I first became a Christian at 16 years old, 
the language among evangelicals, kind of conservative Christians in America was that our job was to accept Jesus into our hearts. That was kind of the language we used, accept Jesus into our hearts. One of my mentors, a man by the name of uh, Nate Petzel, who pastors a church in uh, Billings, Montana, he was a mentor to both Quinn and I, was the first one to point out to me that that language of accepting Jesus into your heart is nowhere in the Bible. There is not one fleck of evidence that Paul ever said, accept Jesus into your heart. And uh, Paul, uh, my friend Nate, uh, he sort of rants on this a lot. If you listen to his enough, enough of his preaching, he talks about this about every fourth sermon. Because the call of a Christian is not to accept God into your heart. It's actually the complete opposite. We are not to constrain God into ourselves. We're actually to find ourselves in Christ. And when you think about those two ways of thinking about the Christian faith, those are fundamentally very different ways of thinking about the Christian faith. And to add to that, when you look at all of Paul's writings, the most repeated phrase that Paul ever uses in all of his writings, somewhere around 17 letters, our best guess, 13 letters, is his most repeated phrase, is the phrase, in Christ. We are in Christ. It is not the concept that Christ comes to uh, constrain himself in us, but that we are in him. Uh, Tim Keller in one of his uh, books says, it's the difference between asking God to come and be your secretary and do work for you versus living your life in service of what he is doing. See, the concept, what, what Paul is getting at, he's talking, as Quinn masterfully invited us to consider, was this idea that we are invited to consider Christ as the supreme one above all. We don't invite him to come help us to be a Christian is to find ourselves in him and find whatever he is doing and get into that, not the other way. The point is not to get God to bless what we do. It is to find what God is doing and partner with that. Are you with me? The therapeutic gospel essentially says, believe in Jesus and it becomes a way to just bless everything you're doing. And I want to suggest tonight, Paul is confronting that form of Christianity and he's inviting us to a radical, radical submission to him as a person and him in his kingdom. I want to suggest two ideas in answer to this question. What does it mean to believe Jesus is Lord and does it do anything to change our lives? Number one is that when we actually believe Jesus to be supreme, when we actually believe Jesus to be the ruler and the king, when we actually believe he is the God of gods, he's the Lord of lords, the ruler of creation, over every inch of creation, God says, mine. To believe that does two things. The first thing it does is this, is it gives us permission to receive loss and death as gain. To receive loss and death as gain. You know, in a way, reorient our understanding of what it means to lose, what it means to die, what it means to give something up. 
Uh, there was a book written a number of years ago. Some of you have heard his name, uh, M. Scott Peck. He wrote a book called The Road Less Traveled. Uh, some of you remember M. Scott Peck in the 90s and 80s. He wrote a series of uh, very influential books that uh, really were about mental health and cognitive uh, well-being and mental, you know, mental stability, all these sorts of very important things in a, in a world that seems very fragmented. M. Scott Peck became a Christian at the very end of his life. Uh, a very, very uh, visceral conversion to Christianity uh, near the sort of mid, mid to end uh, portion of his of his career. And you can tell in his writings uh, in the latter stage that his understanding of Jesus had completely changed his work as a counselor. In one of his books, he wrote a book called The People of the Lie. He talks about this one woman that was uh, coming to see him for some help. And she's describing these neuroses she's walking through. She's describing these, uh, these difficulties at, at dealing with her anxiety and her shame. And she was having a very difficult time doing this. And M. Scott Peck just says uh, in the counselor's office, well, have you ever, have you, and I don't know if counselors are even allowed to say this, but he said, well, have you ever considered Jesus? And she responded to him in, in, in his book. He actually outlines her response. And this is what she said. Uh, she's a well-doing secular person. And she responds and she says, well, there's no room in me for that because faith would be my death. I don't want to live for God, I will not. I want to live for my own sake. And as she describes this, uh, this sort of refusal to believe in somebody bigger than herself, um, M. Scott Peck, he sort of, he, he talks about for this woman why that was holding her hostage. And he says for this woman, the fact that there was no God for her required that she herself played the role of God. And he says this uh, in, in The Road Less Travel. He said, mental health, again, this is a counselor. <laughs> mental health requires that the human will submit itself to something higher than itself. To function decently in this world, we must submit ourselves to something that takes precedence over what we want at any given moment. And what he, here's what he's saying. He's saying, if you don't have a supreme God, you ultimately become your own supreme God. And for Peck, he said, there is nothing more that you could do to destroy your mental health than to be your own God. What he's saying, he's, he's getting at, I think, the heart of what Paul is saying here. You see, for Paul... This, this idea of the supremacy of Christ, um, the word that he used is, uh, in Greek that Quinn alluded to, protuon, which means he's the first of all. Uh, he's uh, uh, the most important. He is the, the best. He is the highest. He is the first. Um, and for Paul, he connects it with this other concept of being the firstborn, prototokos, which is the first. Porn. And they both start with proto, which means to be the first. He's the first and he's the first firstborn. And Paul, in this section, kind of over and over and over again, uses these words. He's the first, he's the firstborn, he's the first. He just keeps throwing out these words. He is the first, he's the first, he's the first, he's the first. And I think this confronts, for me at least as I read Paul, it confronts my fear of losing and my fear of death and my fear of not being first. Now we are, um, whether you know it or not, we are, a we are a culture that is obsessed. <laughs> we are obsessed with putting out 
the most beautiful pictures of ourselves. We are obsessed with um, winning. We are obsessed with being first. We are obsessed with evading death. We are obsessed with pills that give us eternal life. We are obsessed with skin creams that make us never age. I'm not, but some of you are. We are obsessed with evading, sidestepping loss and death. Uh, all of these, by the way, studies have been coming out since 9-11 about the way Americans think about death. Uh, and it turns out not only are we more scared of death than we've ever been in our entire known recorded history, but more often than not, we're actually more afraid of our loved ones dying because we don't want to be left behind and experience the suffering that is a result of that. And more and more and more people are afraid of the dying process. We're now doing things to, to not have to even Face it. We don't even call them funerals anymore. We call them celebration of life services. We don't even talk about death. And, and to add to that, there was, you may remember after 9-11, people started going to church again. And part of the reason, I think, is that when we are reminded of our own death, it makes us want God. It awakens us up to immortality. It awakens us up to this idea that we need somebody beyond this existence. But we're terrified of death. And two times in this passage, Paul says, Christ is the firstborn of the dead. He has conquered death. And why I think this is so critical for us, has anybody in the room ever been to England before? We have any folks that have been, okay, go, when you go to England, it's one of the, the weirdest things in the world because when you go to the churches, and some, some churches here do this too, but when you go to church, the front of the church outside, like the lawn, there's no lawn. What is outside the church, outside of a, like a British parish? What is it? It's, 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 it's a cemetery. It's where all the dead people would, would be buried. And imagine that. You're going to church every day. You would walk by the cemetery to go to church. It sounds kind of morbid. I think it's beautiful. Because to embrace Jesus is to embrace the idea that Christ is so sovereign, he is even sovereign over your death. He is even supreme in your death. Do you know what, have you ever wondered this? Do you remember what, okay, what day did Jesus die? Friday. What day did Jesus resurrect? Sunday. Does anybody know what he did on Saturday? There's one line in the book of 2 Peter that tells us what he did. You know what he did? He went to hell. And what did he do in hell? He went to death itself and he proclaimed freedom for those who were trapped. Now you, you go, uh, we call that in church history, we call that the harrowing of hell. And it's the idea that Christ is so supreme, he is even supreme over hell. I gotta tell you, I've experienced some tremendous loss in the last three years. And maybe you have too in the last few. And it is my tendency to think that Jesus is supreme over the parts of my life that are going well. And what I think this text invites us to see are those moments of loss and grief and lament those places where we've lost everything, that Jesus is so supreme, he's even supreme over that stuff. 
And the second thing I want you to see from this, um, if I could, so number one, yeah, it changes the way we think about death because friends, as Christians, as Christians, we don't believe that Jesus is only supreme and sovereign over those places in our life that we say, hashtag blessed. He is supreme over it all. You get to release the lie that you are your own supreme. You're not supreme. You have a supreme. Jesus is your king and your Lord. You get to embrace Christ in your death, in your loss. So it does change us. And I want to say secondly, is it causes us to reject what I call firstism. Firstism. And this is actually not my word, the word firstism. This, what is firstism? Firstism is this idea where we, Western culture, we're obsessed with being first in everything. Right, that we're the first every, that we're the, that we're the most important country, that we're the important, most important church, that we're the most important denomination, that we're the most important culture, that we're the most important ideology. Firstism is this idea that my thing, whatever my thing is, is the first. And, what, and Paul, in this language here, he's using very clear language of, of first by saying he is the first and he's the firstborn. He's the first, he's the protuon, and he is the prototokos. He is the firstborn. He is both. He's first and he's the firstborn. If you were reading this in the first century, your mind would be blown because when you go through the Bible, you're gonna notice something interesting. So in the ancient world, in the ancient, what is it, what, when Paul says Christ is the firstborn, what in the world does that mean? What in the, I'm an only child, I have no idea what a firstborn, as an only child is weird, you're the first and the last. It's a very weird place to be. Very weird place to be. You're everything and nothing at the same time. You're your mom's greatest and your, her greatest problem. You're everything. What does Paul mean when he says that Christ is the firstborn? In the ancient world, you, you know the Bible well enough. Who always, who, who should always get the inheritance? Who is it? It's firstborn, always. The firstborn should get the inheritance. The firstborn is the most blessed. The firstborn is the one who is the first of all. They're the child of blessing. And we actually have a word for this. It's called primogeniture. It's the idea that the firstborn should be the, the blessed one. But when you read through the Bible, have you noticed that's never the way God works? Cain and Abel. Who murders who? Cain is the older. Abel is the younger. Who kills who? Cain murders Abel. Who is the righteous one? The older or the younger? The younger. Jacob and Esau. Who's older? Jacob or Esau? Esau. Who's the blessed one? Jacob. And what in the Bible, it's this very weird thing. The firstborn is not always the blessed one. What's beautiful about that is God does not operate with people out of favoritism. He operates with people out of faith. Meaning that God does not bless because you're the first in line. He blesses because you're operating in faith towards him. But we come to this text where it says that he is the firstborn. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying, you know, in the, in the Old Testament, in the Bible, the firstborn was rarely the blessed one. The firstborn was rarely the anointed one. The firstborn was rarely the one that I can work through. 
But now Christ has come, who is the firstborn, and he is the one who gets the inheritance. He is the one who can handle the blessing. He is the one who can receive it all. He is the inheritance of all. We now have a firstborn who is the anointed king. This doesn't, by the way, mean that Jesus had a bunch of brothers that were also God. That's not what we're saying. But Paul is using language to say, as the firstborn of the dead, he is the one who gets the inheritance. Guess who his inheritance is? You. Me. This creation. This is his. It's rightfully his. This it is so confronting because we are just, um, I, listen, I'm gonna, I asked Brooks if I could share this and he said, would you please, I'll be gone. They can get mad at you if they want. We, we, there are so many ways in which we think we are supreme. This confronts our concept that Americans are supreme, American supremacy, where we think we are just God's gift to this world and the highest and best nation in this world. By the way, do I love the place I live? Yes, but Jesus is supreme, not America. The idea that one race is more supreme than another, friends, there is no more important theological construct that stands against white supremacy than the concept that Jesus is supreme. The idea that my denomination is the best, my idea that my religious understanding is the best, the idea that my gender is the best, or my theology is the best, or my ideology is the best, or my personality is the best, none of that gets to stand up. Jesus Christ is supreme. None of that other stuff. None of that other stuff. It confronts every area of our life that says, I am first. There's a guy, I love this, John wrote these letters called the letters of John and third John, there's this guy he describes who Paul's having this, he's having a hard time with. There's this guy in the church that's creating all this division and this is the only thing Paul describes about him. His name is Diotrephes and he says this. He says, Diotrephes loved to be first. (laughs) That's all he says about him. He just liked to be first. And I wanna suggest to you today that when you follow Jesus, you refuse to believe the idea that you are first. He is first. We're never first. I remember reading this story about Mother Teresa. Um, Mother Teresa was the saint of a woman who spent years serving the poor in Calcutta, India. And Mother Teresa there was this, this guy who went and spent a year of his life with her and she, she loved Jesus with all of her heart and she gave her life to serve the poor. And <clears throat> Mother Teresa, the, 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 the sisterhood that they had developed in Calcutta, this, this uh, practice of, they had this, um, uh, this, this uh, shoe warehouse where they got all these shoes. And there was this guy who went and spent a year watching Mother Teresa and uh, he would watch as when they would open up the shoe house once a week for the poor to come in and get a shoe house, to, to get shoes, that he would, he would notice every time she would be standing at the front of the line. Every, every week. She would be standing at the front of the line 
And she would go in first and get a pair of shoes. And the guy, the guy was like kind of creeped out by this because everybody thinks Mother Teresa is a servant uh, person. Let the poor come in first. And she always got in line first. And he was so confused. He wrote a whole biography about her. And it was not until the very end of his time with Mother Teresa that he figured out what was going on. Mother Teresa would stand at the front of the line to go into the shoe warehouse. And she would go in and she would always be the first one. And here's why. She would go in and she would always pick the worst pair of shoes for herself. So that no one else would have to get it. Jesus is first. And what does he do? He stands in the front of the line. And he goes in first. And what does he do first? He faces death first. He faces sin first. He faces shame first. And he does it so that we don't have to. See, I want to I I suggest to you as I'm done uh, and before we take our vote, I want to suggest that the only way to be free is, is it comes by not being first. Or I should say, it comes by letting Jesus be first. I remember going, when I went hiking with my dad as a kid through the snow, I remember he would always step in front of me in the snow and I remember as a little kid, my little tiny foot being in his footprint. And I want to invite you tonight to embrace Christ's firstness. Our responsibility is not to go first, it is to be behind. It's liberate, it is so liberating to not be your own God. Be free. As the band comes up, as we sing, I'd like to ask you to pray with me to embrace the supremacy of Jesus. Would you pray? Gracious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Lord and creator of all, through whom all things were made. Jesus, you are the first, you are the firstborn you are the one over the whole inheritance. This whole thing is yours. And we submit, Jesus, to you so that we might be free. We submit our attempts at being first and we become second to follow you. Jesus, thank you for going into the warehouse of sin and putting on our sin so that we don't have to bear the brunt of that shame for freeing us, liberating us, and counting us your children. Thank you, God. Be with the Rices tonight uh, in their time away. Thank you, God, for the pastors of this church. Bless them. Bless this church. Lead it and guide it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Go before it, God. Would it be said about Westside that they didn't need to be first? May it be said. Thank you, Jesus. In the name of Christ, we pray. <laughs>